Frank and Joe Hardy receive an unusual assignment from their detective father. They are to break into the house of a Bayport neighbor, Malcolm Wright, and retrieve a top-secret invention that the scientist has hidden in his study before leaving for California. The invention is in danger of being stolen, and the boys race against time to beat the thieves at their own game. But the young detectives soon discover that they are involved in a mystery far greater in scope than just retrieving an invention. Their investigations put them on the trail of a dangerous gang of jewel thieves and smugglers. When Joe is kidnapped, the incident starts Frank off on a chase that almost ends disastrously for him and his pals. The exciting capture of several members of the gang during a stormy night on Barmet Bay and the perilous encounter with the insidious Anchor Pete concludes one of the most complicated cases of the Hardy's career. Please read this pamphlet. Yeah, you exactly. really have a lot of literature. Uh, you will uh, get, get yourself acclimated with the guidebook. With the don't ask handbook. yourself what you can do for the Taffy Ma Gang. <laughs> ask yourself what the Taffy Ma Gang can do for you. And the answer is a ten percent cut. It's 2017, and everyone gets a podcast. Mine is the Hardy Boys Drink Book. Each episode, I sit down with creative and hilarious people to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Then, we have one of our favorite bartenders mix us up a custom cocktail to drink while we read. It really helps with all of the logical inconsistencies. Today, I'm joined by Mike Marlowe, and our drink was created by Anders Leto at Hudson Hill, and it will get you clobbered like a blow to the head. Pretend to be a crook, get in a plane chase, and stay up way past your bedtime in... The Hardy Boys Drink Book Number 10, What Happened at Midnight. Hello, detectives, and welcome back to the podcast. I am so happy that today uh, we are joined by Mike Marlowe, who was our very first guest on the show. We are back. Mike, thank you for joining. It's an even greater honor to be back for, you know, a much more um, substantial Hardy Boys adventure this time. Yeah. They've come a long way in 10 books. Mm -hmm. Uh, So first impressions... The, uh, compared to the first book, how was this read? This is more what I picture a boy adventurer story to be. Yeah, there's, it's not so much riding a, around on bicycles. Yeah, legitimate peril. Yeah. And a very complicated plot and secrets and just all kinds of fun, wacky stuff that makes no real sense as to why it's happening. But it does. And yeah. it's great. You it know, there's happens. airplanes. Yeah, that's so the last book was all about airplanes is the great Mm -hmm. airport mystery and it seems to me and this seems to be a recurring theme that the writers thought of some real cool stuff that should have been in in the air three weeks later they had ah yeah and so there's a bunch of like when you have that zing in a shower right from the conversation from three days ago right well we call it we call it the dr octopus moment when you can't remember something or you didn't think of something and then it's two o'clock in the morning and you're on the toilet and you go dr octopus but yeah, this must have popped up later because there's a bunch of like airplane activity sprinkled across this top of this story. Mm-hmm. Clearly leftover stuff from before. Yeah. A little bit about the series. The Hardy Boys Mystery Series was originally written by Franklin W. Dixon, better known as the inventor of the ellipses. And he wrote them in the 1920s, but they were updated pretty heavily in the 50s to make them more PC, make the boys uh, wealthier, more respectful of authority, uh, generally more appropriately 50s. Really, I, let's be honest, the police do 90% of the heavy lifting. Yeah, which is good because in some of the books, they do absolutely nothing. Yeah, they're so, really, the, the Bayport PD, I think, deserves a hearty slap on the back and maybe a little extra something in the bribe envelope this week. Yes, and they definitely deserve that bribe envelope that I think Fenton is probably shelling out. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump into the story. Uh, this I like that this starts with I have we've talked about my theory that Fenton Hardy is actually a criminal. Yeah, and this starts with him saying, "Hey, boys, I've been hired by an inventor, Malcolm Wright, because mm-hmm. all inventors have the last name Wright. You need to break into his house in the middle of the night." Yeah, and and I feel we should clarify for the audience that what happened at midnight does not have a question mark. No. This isn't, this isn't, what happened at midnight? They're not trying to find that out. This is a very definitive retelling of a series of events that happen at midnight. And a couple of different midnights happen. Yeah. Things happen at them. A couple times they have actually what you call a motif. Yep. With the chiming clock. That I know. That I think happened three times? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's twice, awesome. twice, in the, once in the first two chapter, once in the second chapter, and then once in the last chapter. They're like, right. oh, right, we got a motif. Oh, we got to get this in we here. We got to wrap that up. Yeah. The chimes. Uh, Things happen in threes. That's That was something from my writing class. So they break into this house. Uh, they're really good at it. Yeah. I, 
I love that. Right away, it starts when they have a um, the sense well, when they're going through the window and Frank jumps in, and then it's a little too high, and they're like, "Ah, Joe, you could slip and fall." And so he just goes and opens the door for him. Yeah, he's like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" Rather than you jumping and us risking you getting hurt, I'll just go down and open the front yeah, door. Very sensible play and by then, the Hardys right yeah. off the gate. So they're uh, they're trying to find this invention that's hidden somewhere in the office. Mm-hmm. And they think it's probably going to be in the desk, so they're checking all over for a hidden panel. And the real bad guys show up, but they don't try to climb in the window or go in the front door. They just smash a window downstairs. Yeah, just come on in. Let's hide in the knee hole, Frank whispered. Then use our hand signals. Oh, yes, that they have this worked out for just this situation. Sometime before this, the Hardys had devised a series of hand squeeze signals. One hard squeeze meant let's attack. Two indicated caution. Long, short, long meant we better scram. An ordinary handshake was agreed. So what if they disagree? Is there just a series <laughs> of pulls and tugs until, no, like, is there a debate it's process? It's Frank quickly punching Joe in the nuts and then doing what he said he was going to do anyway because Frank is the older brother. He is the alpha. Mm-hmm. But, I, yeah, I love that they they must share a bedroom and lie awake all night being like, okay. So let's say we can't talk, but we need to communicate. What do we use? Morse code. No, because that would make noise. Okay, Morse code by blinking. That's too Mm -hmm. complicated. What if it's dark? Hand squeeze signals. Yeah. But here's my big problem with this whole system. They get tied up a lot. But but it was still the third time that week they were hiding in a closet. Yeah, and some guys and like you know this this, even well we get tied up a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other thing comes up a lot too. Yeah, exactly. We're we're just trying to communicate. So rather than just. I don't know. I thought they were just going to let the crooks, and the crooks were going to get away with the invention, but the boys say no. No. Yeah, they jump out. Very exposition-friendly crooks. These guys lay a lot out about what's going on. About that they've been hired by a guy named Shorty, Mm -hmm. which isn't the best name for someone leading a gang. No. Shorty. And Well, and there's, yeah, Shorty's like, I think this is a big gang. Yeah. It's a crime layers of a syndicate here. Shorty's like the 19th man down. He's yeah, it's like movies. halfway through a Netflix original series when you meet the real big bad. Yeah. And you're like, that first guy was just working for this guy. The little and bad. Yeah, no, I know. Joss I know. Whedon. Every time. But they jump out to beat up these bad guys, and they do. Very efficiently. They beat the crap out of them, and they One sit punch. on their backs. Yeah, they, well, they jump them, and then they jump up, and they do like a, a double team uppercut. Like yeah, Ryu like style, Just show Ryudin. Yeah, exactly. Which I really love the fact that once they're out, like, oh, should we tie him up? And Frank's, nah, they're going to be out for at least 30 minutes. Now, if you get knocked unconscious <laughs> by a blow to the head and you're out for 30 minutes. Yeah, how many times do we have to go that's over bad. It's That's bad. That's really bad. Permanent brain damage <laughs> is highly likely. And in skipping, spoiler, skipping ahead a little bit, they actually never mention these guys again. So we don't know if. Uh... When they tell the chief about it later in an mm-hmm. un really unrelated but they're like oh chief we were at that house and we were the ones who knocked those guys out hot and the chiefs ha 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 they haven't said a word since <laughs> right exactly because they're crippled they have they, they are they don't remember words they're in critical condition yeah ways. they're um uh, but but they don't call the police at no. the time that they knocked these guys out in a minute joe was dialing headquarters without giving his name he said come to malcolm wright's house at once there are burglars in it he hung up there are burglars in it. And you know the cops are like, that was Frank Hardy. We better go. Yeah, exactly. It was one of those <laughs> yeah. damn boys. Oh, God. They, they know the voice. Like, there's two right. cops, and these guys are involved in all the crime in town. They're intimately familiar. Uh, the boys get the invention, and it turns out it's a radio, the most amazing mm. radio in the world. It's like a yeah. pocket radio. Mm-hmm. But it can pick up signals from a ham radio in Spain. Yeah. Which, That's... how is it not being so overwhelmed with, like, Every, every other yeah this, this is operating a on really that, like this is the major invention of the 20th century that they yeah. stumbled on it and well we'll see later you know it's, it's basically wireless communication right like, from anywhere in the yeah. world instantaneously so of course they put it in the um, bayport's actually home to a huge tech empire now yes in this in this universe there's a uh, a long-standing multi-jillion dollar i mean richer no than it's every it's gonna be the new menlo park yeah it's yeah and they put this device because they don't want to get this stolen they put it in the trunk of their car where the spare tire is supposed to be yeah. underneath their trunk mm-hmm. and they're like that way it'll be fine because vibrations won't hurt it yeah Great. Science. Science. Yeah. And I'm like, that thing's going to get smashed to crap. It's in the trunk of a 1950s car. A 20s car. Let's be honest here. It's a metal shell. They go to the antique airplane show. 
they see one of the crooks there who has a briefcase that like papers yeah. fall out oh, yeah some uh, stupid crap my favorite because all the crooks have great there's anchor pete and yeah as we get it and, and chris, chris. <laughs> this guy's chris yeah there's and like one-eyed taffy. joe and taffy and um it's like did the people who mm-hmm. wrote this did the yes. person who wrote this book mm-hmm. think that yeah. Chris was a bag dude name, mm-hmm. and then this is this begins the following Chris around, which account, which is a good sixty percent of this book. Yeah, it's following in various Chris. spots of following Chris from place to place. What I really liked about the airplane show is that they run into Chet, and I was like, oh, finally! And Chet shows up, and in the last book, Chet flew in an airplane and almost died. They were like stranded at sea. The ship was filling with water. The engine, like, it was a horrible experience. And this time he's like, think I could get a ride in one of those? And their friend who owns a, who has a biplane is like, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And Chet has an awesome day. I'm always thrilled when Chet has a good time. Chet is having a party that night and gets a ride to his own party in a biplane. Yeah. And, like, lands in the field outside of his party. That's the coolest party that Chet ever threw. And it makes up for a couple days later when Chet has a real crap day oh, being yeah. a solid bro. Yeah, so that's true. Again, get there. The party's great. Joel and Iola, like, everybody's partying inside the barn. Mm-hmm. Joel and Iola, like, go out onto the back porch to, like, yeah, get some fresh air <clears throat> or whatever. Yeah. Oh. It's so clear what's happening. They're yeah. out there making out. Yeah. And then Iola's like... Joe and Joe's like, no, come on. And she's like, no, Joe, there's someone breaking into the trunk of your car. And he's like, God damn it. And he turns around and there's somebody breaking into the trunk of his car. And rather than be like, Frank, Frank, which Joe, was, you know, Joe's like, I'm sick of being number two. Yeah. I'm showing I'm the sprints after hang. the guy. Yeah. Uh, the guy runs into the woods. He's feeling confident. The night before, right. he didn't knock out a grown man with a single upper, like, yeah. nearly killed a man with right. a single uppercut. So he so. chases after into the woods and then just never comes out. Yeah. And he's gone. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And Frank leads an incredible investigation. Yeah, Frank is on it. Uh, yeah, he's I mean, clearly. If Frank had been kidnapped, I don't think. I don't think it's ending the same way. No, Frank is just like okay. So, uh, like he went through the woods. This is the car. It manages to figure out like what road they would have taken. Mm-hmm. Chases it down. It's like okay, they would have gone left or right. Okay, so the gets pe- the cops to help search. Gets right. the FBI in out the helping the search. Yeah, and he just like and he's doing everything. He's clearly panicking, but his panic is being fueled yeah. into this amazing detective ability mm-hmm. where he's, like, tracking, like, broken branches and, like, st- like tire marks in the road. Yeah. And then a car drives by and a hand comes up and it's Joe's hand. And yeah. he's like, there, that away. And they're chasing after them and the engine dies. And they're like, it's, and Frank says, it's the fuel pump. I have a spare fuel pump in the trunk because I thought that this trunk, this fuel pump might go out. So they get out and they change it, but it takes them, like, 15 minutes. And then by the time it's done, but by the time it's done, the car is gone, and, and Frank is so angry with himself, even mm. though he's done amazing. A solid chapter oh, yeah. of just, like, Fenton would be so proud. Yeah. And I do think the FBI is, and the cops, like, everyone's really trying to find Joe, not because of, you know, it's a missing kid. Like, yeah. people, they're afraid of the whirlwind. Like, Fenton Hardy's coming back in two days, you guys. If yeah. his kid's still missing, people are going to die. Yeah. And they're going to die bad. I know. He got to handle I this. saw him throw a homeless man off a train once. Like, yeah. That happened. <laughs> Fenton Hardy's just, yeah, they're, they know. And that's what's, you know, feeling Frank, too, is like, our dad, gee, our dad sure going to kill a bunch of people if I don't find Joe. Right. He's, he's not afraid for Joe's safety. The Let's thing put it that, that way. The thing that pissed me off this whole time is that Chet keeps being like, well, I guess we're never going to find him. And they're like, no. Not an option. Yeah, Chet's just... This isn't the first time be... you've done this, Chet. Don't so, give up on people so like, there's, there's a party. You know how many people are at my house right now? Guys, still? I should probably get back, back. to the party. I don't want anyone to get into my dad's liquor cabinet. Mm-hmm. Come on. And you're like, no, God, like... Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. But now he keeps trying to get yeah. them to, to quit looking. It was really I never, weird. I never, well, Joe's banging his sister, so. Oh, that's like, right. You know. He's like, maybe it's okay. Maybe yeah. it'll be fine. Hmm. They go home and he ha- and Frank has to tell Laura that Joe has been kidnapped. And she has the she first. Takes it, yeah, like, really well. She takes it really well, but it's also the first time I've ever seen Laura Hardy be like really worried. Mm-hmm. And I was like, just take a pill. Like, you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then after that, she is much chill, much more mm-hmm. chill about it. Like, Joe knows how to take care of himself. She went right into the shelter of her mother's little helper. 
Aunt Gertrude has a clue at this point. Joe's gone. She ran in, uh, just happened to run into a random stranger, and she remembered a very specific... Like his haircut. Yeah, because they had a, they had words. Yeah. Was an oh, and he called her an old, an an old, old whale. Whaler, yeah. yeah. And that's it. Whaler! Whalers use boats! That's a very specific insult. He must be down somewhere by the water. Right. He's Bam! Like, on it. Yeah. He's a savant. Yeah. He, he, I think he's That's mildly That's like 1968 Batman detective, right? right? Exactly. Whale, whaler, whale, boat. Robin? Yeah. To which they then, I think, have they had, I've listened to most of the episodes without some, have they introduced the Hardy Boys boat at this oh, point? Oh, the sleuth? Yeah. Yes. So, they, yeah, because they're officially Batman now. Because yes. they got a boat. Also... And this might be later in it. I don't remember. But they make a mention of, like, if only Dad was here, we could take his airplane. And they're like, Ben yeah. Hardy owned a private six-seater, like, you know, private Yeah, they aircraft. got a plane, a boat. I bet you they have a Zeppelin. They have an ice boat. They have two motorcycles. They have a car. Yeah, they, they have a crime lab. Mm-hmm. They're Batman. Yeah. They can knock a man out with a single punch. Yeah. They go out on the sleuth, and there's a bunch of pointless boat stress. Like, they get yeah. stuck in the fog. They're, they go out in the sleuth mm-hmm. to look for Joe. And they the almost get hit by a tugboat, which comes right. in handy later. It's But it's just, at the time, I'm like, that was stupid and pointless. Yeah. But nothing is pointless. Foreshadowing. Yeah. And they decide, like we're going to go to the caves. Film. And I yeah. think this is so smart, because it's maybe the fourth or fifth time that they've been like, what about the caves? Yeah. And the crooks, like, hide in the caves. People hide treasure in the caves. Mm-hmm. There's secret passageways. And I thought they weren't going to mention anything, but they're like, because there's not a lot of continuity to the stories. But when they said, you know, in Mystery 7, the secret of the caves, when we stayed in that cave, why don't we check near those caves? There's only going to be so many criminal hiding places. Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone said Bayside yet? Have we gone Saved by the Bell accidentally? Oh, no. Or it's, uh, that hasn't yeah, happened. I'm waiting. Someone will accidentally, this is my prediction, sometime someone will accidentally say Bayside. Yeah. And then it will add an entirely new and twist that's to all the right. show. It is all right. It's Saved by the Bell. God, the ability to stop time would come in such oh, handy. Yeah, Zach Morris is a guy. Yeah, he really was. If Zach Morris died in a timeout, would Bayside and the world be frozen Like the forever? sun would never set. And yeah. then what are the galactic and intergalactic implications of that? Huge. Anyway, um, and his phone was huge, too. Uh, but let's see here. Oh, they find Joe. It's like yeah. a, is it the last cave? The first yeah. cave? The first cave. They first. Just, yeah, uh, we know. Well, it's probably in the crime uh, cave. Yeah, there's there's the criminal cave. cave. There's just the tourist cave. No one's going to go there. There's tourists there. So let's go to the crime cave. And I should mention that Joe is yeah, kidnapped on page 30. Yeah. And they find him on page 60. Right. Of a hundred and seventy some page book. Yeah, this is a very exciting thirty pages, which make up for the next forty pages <laughs> where nothing happens. And then, pretty much, yeah. And then, yeah, they find yeah. Joe. Which uh, uh, when they find Joe, I do have to say one of these a uh, little shade on Chet. And yeah, it made me Chet. laugh out loud when I read it. And you know, obviously, Joe's been kidnapped, and they beat the crap out of him. And yeah. they take, you know, he's he's not in great. He's been shape. drugged. Yeah, the whole he's been time. drugged. He's pale and wan. Um, wan. And Chet just goes, "I bet he's hungry." Chet looked at him sympathetically. <laughs> Poor bastard must be hungry. Yeah, great dramatic moment. But let's shame the fatty. Um, I also like that Chet tries to give him food because he packed all this yeah. food, and Frank's like, "No, he can't have any food till the doctor says so." And Chet's like, "What about some milk?" And Frank's like. He can have milk. Oh, yeah. Frank doesn't know. <laughs> Frank's <laughs> guessing. He's like, milk's fine. Milk's healthy. Yeah. This is still, this is before we knew that, you know. The cholesterol. Sure, it's made to make baby cows fat. But mm-hmm. drink it on up. Drink Calcium. it on up. Yeah, and who packs a thermos of milk for a picnic? Just like if you were on a picnic, somebody's like, hey, who wants a glass of milk? Chet Morton does. Chet Morton would. Big slice of chocolate cake. Yep. Never got um, his own book series, and that's a shit. Oh, the crooks are coming through a secret passageway when they find Joe. And mm-hmm. as they're trying to sn- like sneakily get him down the hill, Chet's like, Joe, Joe, it's you. Hey, oh, it's so good to see you. He's <laughs> just yelling nonstop yeah. as they're waving frantically for him mm-hmm. to stop. Uh, they get away. Well, Joe, the crooks shoot at them. It's very crooks exciting. Crooks shoot at them, that's and right. It's, they, I think they're purposely missing because they're like, those are Fenton Hardy's kids. Yeah, don't We're kill better, them. don't, yeah. We didn't know. But they did know it was Joe. Yeah. Um, always a bad idea to... to uh, to kidnap Fenton's children. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe gives his whole recap. They snagged him. Basically, he chased the dude who was breaking into the car. And when he caught up to him, there were like five other dudes. Yeah. And he just got beaten down. 
Um, they take him home. Everybody's happy. But they get they get a phone call when they get home. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the person calls and claims to be the inventor of the secret radio. And they're like, what's your name? And they're like, shut up. I'm not going to tell you. Well, then we're we not... know you. Missed... You're hanging out with our dad, Mr. Wright. I am. This I mean, a... yes, I am. Uh, Which they knew, by the way. <laughs> so this is a very poorly thought out ruse. The gambit is not up to master level yet. So I like this. This was very weird. Frank was suspicious at once. He beckoned his mother and wrote on the telephone pad. He can write very quickly. He wrote, go next door and try to have this call traced. Then call the police and tell the, and give them Joe's clues to the kidnappers. Aloud, Frank was saying, why are you so interested, sir? I don't understand how phones worked in the past. I've said this many times. Mm-hmm. She's going to run next door and be like, Meredith, Meredith, or whatever the yeah. person's name is, and be like, we need to have the call traced at my house. What is that lady going to do? Call the operator. Yeah. Get on the party line. I, yeah, I don't understand that. And then he has enough time to trace that. Yeah. But it's a payphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, none of that was for anything. None of that was for anything. But they tried. It shows that they're, you know, on the ball. They chase Chris some more. Mm-hmm. Bad guy Chris. And Chris. Uh, Chris. Just a bad guy name all around. And uh, he gets on a train to New York City. And I really enjoyed this exchange where Frank says to Joe, how much do you have on you? And Joe's like, I've got $7. What do you have? And he's like, $32. Well, why were you asking me for money? Yeah. You had 32 1950s or 1920s dollars? I I assume that's approximately $37,000. Right, yeah, exactly. Just crammed crammed in his pocket. Uh, But they're like, all right, we'll get on the train and go to New York. And... Which is crazy yeah. for two teenage boys to just be like, we'll just go to New York and then we'll figure it out when we get there. But, I mean, it kind of works yeah. out. And then for 40 pages, they just kind of follow Chris around, around New York. They and get yeah. into wacky, there's some wacky sh- where they have to, like, they follow him to a restaurant. But then all the money's go. This is where the $7 really oh, came yeah. in. So they, they can't pay for the meal, so they lose him because they have to stay and wash, wash dishes. dishes. It's seriously, like, they just have a crappy day in New York, New York City. Yeah. Uh, they sit at a restaurant and some man yells at them. They go to a different restaurant later, and uh, and the waiter points to a sign that says that the restaurant reserves the right to change the prices on yeah. the menu. Yeah, and so they and they take it in stride. Yeah, uh, that's but, part of New York. You know, you never know. You might order a three dollar bagel and then thirty five ninety nine. Wash some dishes, seventeen year old. It's not even them that offer to wash dishes to pay for it. He's like, though, if you are willing to spend three hours each washing dishes, we could call it even. I don't think this guy hires any dishwashers. He just <laughs> raises. His, he finds some kids. And he's like, they can't pay. Bam. <laughs> Dishwashers, three hours, going to ruin the rest of their night. That should be the case they're investigating. Yeah, exactly. The criminals, at least they're honest criminals. Like That's just dickish. They split up in New York to follow Chris at one point. Mm-hmm. Why would they split up at any yeah. other point after Joe's just been mm-hmm. kidnapped? And in New York City. And remember, 30 pages of exciting find Joe kidnapping, 40 pages of this. Yeah, this just, just goes on. They go to an arcade. On. They go to an office building. They spend a lot of time following him on elevators. Mm-hmm. They it just yeah, on yeah. and on. And, and it's on. not even like they follow him to interesting places of New York. No. Where they go through some it's just yeah, and then Chris walked down this street. It could have all happened in Rockport or yeah. one they, of the other wherever. Yeah. Anywhere. But no, first Frank follows some he's following Chris and he's overhearing him talk to some criminals and they grab him and they're like, Ha, we got you. Frank was in a desperate situation, but he did not panic. With cat-like speed, he thrust out his leg and tripped the man on his right, then flung him down so hard the grasp on the youth's right arm was broken. With his free arm, Frank jabbed an elbow into the midriff of the man behind him. Ouch! His opponent grunted loudly. The third man, who still had a firm grip on Frank's left arm, was unable to dodge the boy's blow. It caught him on the chin and he crumpled to the ground. Frank takes Batman. on... Yeah, three grown men. He just takes a deep breath and then does some amazing, like, trip. Fists, punch, yeah. broken jaw, and gets away. This this book really drives home the formidable physical threat the Hardys possess to any criminal. I mean, their smarts are one thing, but yeah. And then one of those guys was unconscious for 30 minutes, suffered permanent brain damage, I'm sure. You yeah. Know? Oh, just leaves them in a heap. They don't, I don't think they've, they know about that. When they find out later and they like are looking back on all their cases, they're going to be like, what if, did those guys die? Do, do we care? No. Is it bad we don't care? Just pour yourself another whiskey, Joe. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, Frank. What did dad turn us into? Stop blaming him! Stop blaming dad! So, I mean, he's still amazing in New York City, but eventually yeah. they get back to Bayport having learned... Really nothing. Really nothing. They yeah. have not advanced the mystery in Well, any they way. do find out. I think when they're in New York, they meet the FBI and they find out who the and head of the gang is. And they do have to dodge is. the train. They yes. chase one of the crooks onto the train tracks. Mm-hmm. And then a train comes behind them. And then they jump out of the way of the train track. Yep. And, and it's fine. he gets away, but they call ahead and say, oh, he's heading to this station. Mm-hmm. And the police catch him. That's true. And that's the that's the guy with the great name that I'm totally blanking out the, on. Oh. Uh, not Hedy Marr, who they learn about in New York. Torchy Mercs. Yes, Torchy Mercs. Yeah. Torchy Merks. Slippery character. Yeah, he's a very slippery character, that Torchy Mercs. And Taffy Marr. So, yeah, and that's the one thing they really find out in New York, that Taffy Marr is the head yeah. of the crime scene. Which shows that, you know, for outside of, there's boy detective detective work and connecting sort of unrelated random things that Frank yeah. does to find Joe. But from this point on, they do actual police detective work, right. which is catch someone lower on the totem pole Use and them. get him to tell you who's in charge. Right. Which is pretty normal. Yeah, that's Though actual... they promise every crook they catch, they're like, look, we'll go easy on you if you uh, testify or if you tell us where this other guy is. Mm-hmm. BS. No, they're not. They don't have, like, any lawyers present. There's no one who's seen that, that, that they agreed to, like, take it easy on them if they ratted out their co-conspirators. No. Like, this, it's total bullcrap. They're going to throw them all in jail for the maximum sentences. Yep. And then um, through a, a police sting when they get back, and then uh, Shorty... The mentioned but not seen yet Shorty is caught. Oh, yeah. He so beat they, up an old man, right? Is that? Or no, that's not. That's, that's, uh, not, that's, that's later. Taffy later. This okay. is when they just catch and then um, Frank disguises himself as a beatnik. Frank decides, I've got an idea how I'm going to get this guy to confess. I'm going to pretend to be a criminal and get him to like and go down to the jail. Yeah. I don't know why he thinks this guy's There's a work. great illustration of beatnik Frank. Yeah, with, with shaggy like shaggy hair, hair, and, a, hair. and a pasted on goatee. When Frank emerged from the house, his best friends would not have recognized him. He wore a long cut wig and beard, tight-fitting slacks, and a turtleneck sweater. He roared off on his motorcycle, and on purpose went past the cell block. As prearranged, Chief Colleague met him at the entrance to the headquarters, and escorted Frank to the prisoner, who looked idly through the bars. Friend of yours to see you, said the chief. Maybe he can persuade you to unbutton your lips. Frank gazed through the bars. Like nothing I will. He whispered to the prisoner in a tough voice as soon as Colleague had moved off. Hi, Shorty. I'm sorry the dicks got you, but you didn't tell him nothing, did ya? Nah. Frank was jubilant. He had scored one point. The man's nickname was Shorty. And I love the way it's just, it's phonetically written out, the gangster, the gangster low son. speak. Did you hear my new motorcycle? Y-U-H. With some O-D's. There's a flatulent O apostrophe D-E-S-E. Some yeah, ODs. Some ODs. That could be a villain in a Hardy Boys. Or, yeah. or maybe a Bond girl. And Frank says that his name is Youngster. That mm-hmm. that's his gangster name is Youngster. He's new. He's new. I'm Youngster. And the guy totally tells Right him, away. Even just... though the chief of police walked this criminal into the jail and was like, mm-hmm. maybe he'll get you to talk and give us some evidence. And then leaves and he's like, look, I don't, I probably and should tell you That's how the chief this. was right. Yeah, yeah he will. Uh, oh, you you must be on the level. You know my boss's name. No one could know my boss's name mm-hmm. unless he was part of the gang. Yeah. Then there is just a total shitstorm at the jewelry store. I don't remember yeah. how they find out about it. Because it's a crime scene. Oh, yeah. Taffy, they Taffy go to check Marv it out. makes his first appearance. Aunt Gertrude has been very like suspicious of the new guy who's working at the jewelry store. Mm-hmm. Instantly suspicious of him. Yeah. Again, good instinct. And they go to the jewelry store to check it out, and it turns out that was Taffy Marr, the guy re- leading yeah. the gang. And he has beaten the 90-something-year-old shop owner. Like really, like, like kicked the shit a out coma. of this old man. Yeah. yeah, he's in the hospital, and they don't know if he's going to make it, which was pretty dark. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Bickford, who's a, a very old, important, like, friend of the family, pillar of the Bayport community, who I don't think has been mentioned up until this no. point ever before. No, but he's very important. Yes, uh, yeah, uh, in in this story, he's very important. Yeah, and Taffy is boarded a plane and is headed to the West Coast, and they're like, "We got to get a plane, plane chase." Yeah, uh, 
I, we can't use our plane. No, it's at I, a different airport or something. Or yeah, whatever. So what? What's the solution? Let's just hop into this crazy old guy's biplane, the antique airplane from earlier. Yeah. Uh, so they get yeah. Even though they had this whole, they built a whole network of pilot friends in the last book. I don't know. Anyway, they, they were all busy. They're all busy. So they get into this antique biplane and they're going to go on this plane chase. Um, where they, I guess, just don't lose sight of the other plane. Yeah. Which you think that would be the worst way to follow someone because mm-hmm. they would definitely be able to yeah. see you if that you can see them. plane has been following us pretty, and there's no crops around yeah. here. And then later there's a big storm and he's like, look, that other plane is uh, is designed to fly without visibility. Like yeah. just on, which means it has like radar and things, which means you could totally tell there yeah, was a biplane. Instruments and right. things. And yeah, a compass, you know, real basic stuff. <laughs> yeah. So this is absolutely crazy, and I was so mm-hmm. happy this finally happened. Frank and Joe, like the engine just dies in this thing. Yeah. It ices up. He's a terrible pilot. He's a That's terrible pilot. They, they got into the wrong plane with the wrong crazy old crop up. duster. Yeah. He gets like, up this guy, like, yeah. as long as the airs remain clear, it does. the sun doesn't move mm-hmm. at all through the sky. There aren't any birds, and there's not a small fire. We should be fine. Yeah. And they're like... But this it, is not Dennis Quaid in Independence Day. This no. guy doesn't have military. Yeah, he's just a crazy man who probably found a plane. He said that he Let's built be, it. And he's yeah. like, I've got enough spare parts to build a new plane. because, And he's going to need mm-hmm. to because he crashes the damn thing. And the boys have to. He's like, all right, boys. Well, ditch. Gonna, and they're like, what? And he's like, put on your parachute. It's fine. Just climb out onto the, the wing. And then when I yell, go, you jump. Then count to ten and pull your ripcord. It's going to be fine. See you later. Most people, when they skydive, take hours of lessons and no. have a tandem. Crash no. course. Yeah. You're, I guess so there's no wrong way. They jump. Frank goes to pull his ripcord. And, of course, it can't just work. Yeah. He goes to pull it and nothing happens. And he's frantic. For a paragraph. For a paragraph. And I'm like, are they going to have to do some aerial get close to each other? Because that's impossible. No. Then it works. Then it just works. And, uh, and they safely float to the ground. In a nice field, a freshly like plowed field. And the plane, I must have been spiraling down or something because mm-hmm. they can see where it crashed. And they run over to it. And, oh, yeah, and the guy's caught in the tree. The pilot yeah. is stuck in a tree. Wah, wah. Yeah, they have to, like, do some crazy. And the whole, all the people from all the farms, like, gather around. And then they call Chet to come pick them up. Who drives three hours <laughs> yeah. with no radio if this is the 20s edition. Right. Just Chet, you know, for 140 his... miles there and 140 miles back. Doesn't complain at all. Nope. Gets there after dark and they say to him, what took you so long? 140 miles. I mean, Chet's just been a solid bro. Came and picked him up in the like, you know, I don't what, know. Yeah, he didn't say, oh, what did you... I'm sorry, I wasn't busy crashing a plane in the middle of nowhere. Also, it must have taken him forever to find that particular... Oh, yeah. Because they, they don't know exactly where they are. They're in the middle of farm country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no. They, yeah, Chet, we're approximately here. Come find us. God, Chet. <laughs> well, what took you so long? It's been hours. And he's like, yeah, I just drove hours. Yeah. But it's fine, I guess. They uh, Then somebody's car gets stolen. And then the, then they, because they, remember, they left the car with, when they jumped in the biplane, oh, right. they didn't take the super important invention with them. No, they just took their, yeah. Yeah, so the car, they come back, and of course their car's gone. With the super important invention in it, um, this would present an Just obstacle. A mess of a day. If they didn't find it on the next page, oh, but abandoned. they do. They find it. It's with fine the, with the invention still there. Yeah, the so people didn't check fine. in the place that like any DEA agent would immediately check in your car. Yeah, the the thing in the trunk that's a little trap door that screws down. Let's look in there. Nah, nah. Uh, These kids aren't very smart. Oh yeah, they find out that there's like a boat docked in the bay. Something mm-hmm. to do with the criminals. Yeah, they're they're putting it's smugglers together. They're not just criminal criminals. They're smugglers. They're smugglers. They too. deal with uh, jewelry and electronics. Right. Those are their two fields. Well, I like are, that they're diversified. Yeah, because we've had nerve gas yeah. and we've had like submarine and military technology and mm-hmm. radar technology. So this is a little different. Electronics. Yeah. I'm Taffy Marr, and if you join my gang, we steal diamonds. We steal electronics. You want to steal cars, shoes, rugs. Anything else? Get the fuck out of my gang. <laughs> yeah. We steal diamonds. We steal electronics. No, I get it. I get it. So, like, uh, what about, like, car stereos? Look, I don't even want to mess around with car stereos. <laughs> we don't do cars, okay? We do electronics. We do diamonds. This is the 1920s. I'm not even sure what entails electronics, but that is what we steal in the Taffy Ma gang. <laughs> the mo- only, like... Please read this pamphlet. <laughs> yeah, it will exactly. clearly explain. We have a lot of literature. 
Uh, you will uh, get, get yourself accustomed with the guidebook. With the Don't ask handbook. yourself what you can do for the Taffy Ma Gang. <laughs> ask yourself what the Taffy Ma Gang can do for you. And the answer is a 10% cut. Yeah, the, you mentioned uh, he's, a sh- he's a really bad boss. Yeah, he, he just really takes, does. he just beats him up and takes everything. Yeah. Don't even, I don't even think they get paid. I'm not no, sure no one, why no they're one in this paid. syndicate. They've been all promised money later. They've got nothing up front. Like every time they mention a criminal, yeah, they complain. They're just like, occurred to me. I haven't hey. even gotten paid. Yeah. No, there was no money in this. And you're getting beaten up by teenagers? How much I'd did find... you think? Yeah, but I guess they stole a bunch of diamonds. Yeah, time to get a new syndicate. They go out on a tugboat ride to... The tugboat that almost hit them earlier. Yeah, and he's like, like, I was out in the fog, almost ran somebody. Yeah, because you know, they're like, if they, they know our boat, they'll see that right. coming a mile away. So let's hire so... a tugboat. <sighs> that one that almost hit us. And Yep, so that um... worked. They take the tugboat out. They find the, na- the criminal's boat. It's called the Water Devil. Mm-hmm. And... It's very, very video game to me. It's just a boat with nobody on it floating there with a treasure chest, basically. And they're like, well, let's look in the treasure chest. So they swim over to the boat. Joe opens it and gets electrocuted and thrown backwards. And they have to rescue him. Not um, Is it Joe and Frank? It's... um... Or, or is it just Frank? It's just Frank who gets... And then the crew of the boat actually come there, who are all, like, really solid... They like, just let him swim out there, though. They weren't like, wait, it might be. No. But they jump right in. They're, they they're still they confident him. and everything. Yep. I think to you know, counteract some of the more negative portrayals of sailors that occur later in the narrative. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so he's KO'd by a zap. And then page 157 in the chapter called Anchor Pete, which I was like, finally. And yeah, we, who's on the cover. Who is not mentioned until the very they, then they then yeah then the cops show up like then they just like hey wait by this boat and catch somebody <laughs> which they do yeah that's and true. this it guy's works. like oh wait till Anchor Pete shows up Anchor Pete's coming for you guys because and they're like why did you call him that and they said because he used to throw anchors like horseshoes. That's strong. Anchors? That's, That's so really strong. strong. That's like not like... Even hauling an anchor up out of water is heavy. That's like Captain America strong. Right. At least. That where if you can just chuck an anchor 30 yeah. yards. It's like it's like Spider-Man being able to like rip the door off of a car and use it to block something. Yeah. You know? But, oh yeah, so they have this guy, Gross, who's, who's one of the criminals. They have him trapped. And Aunt Gertrude is interrogating him about kidnapping Joe, and he won't give him any answers. And Aunt Gertrude cries out, You ought to be horse-whipped. Jail's too good for people like you, kidnapper, smuggler, and goodness knows what else. You ought to be horse-whipped. Must have been a much more common phrase back then. Mm-hmm. But she thinks she believes in criminal, like in, uh, in capital punishment. Yeah. For kidnapping. Well, seeing as how her brother has casually murdered probably a dozen people Sometimes that we know gotta, of at this point. Yeah, you got to take the law yeah. into your own hands. And... Uh, too good for the likes of you. You ought to be mm-hmm. horse whipped. Yeah. You and then you and then you again. Let's see. He gives him tons of information. Oh, they decide they're going to s- sleep during the day and sneak around at night mm-hmm. in an attempt to get attacked by the man who could throw anchors overhand. Yeah. Which works <laughs> shockingly well. Oh, yeah. Anchor Pete sneaks up on him. Well, first they catch him. They like they see him. They mention it's like there's someone hiding behind. Like I can just holding see this giant sailor with an anchor. Like quickly duck behind a tree. Oh they're well. Like, Hey, there he is. Um, yeah, Anchor Pete. At midnight, the clock chimes once again. Right. Anchor Pete swings his mighty anchor. The teeming rain made the footing treacherous. Occasionally, a flash of lightning illuminated the entire hillside, forcing the sleuths to crouch low to avoid detection. Yeah, and they see a guy crouching. But then Mr. Hardy just, like, shows up. After, they, they just... Did they yeah, Anchor Pete Anchor jumps Pete? out, and they just kick... They kick Anchor Pete's ass. Anchor Pete has nothing to offer. It's it's a similar... Yeah, it's it's also like in a video game, when a bad guy who's supposed to be yeah. a challenge steps out, and you're playing multiplayer, and you and your friends just kick him in the knees yeah. until he's just down in the he's ground. He's really more of a quick-time event. Yeah, he kind of, like, swings the anchor, and that's all and he's got. And then you, like, run up the anchor and punch him in the chin. And yeah. Like, yeah, it's... Anchor, uh, for all of his build-up... In that you know, two sentences oh, they gave he's him. He's also a few on the cover of the yeah. freaking book. He doesn't look very big. No, he mm-hmm. isn't. But he is just holding an anchor like mm-hmm. it's a hammer. Yeah, sneaking up behind them in their their very sharp and color coordinated suits. Because uh, Frank has black hair, or is it Joe? Is Joe the this one? I think that's Joe. Yeah, Joe has black hair, so he wears a black coat and a blue tie. And Frank has like lighter blondish hair, so he wears a brown coat and a red tie. And like the tones are good. Very but what if Frank forward. wants to wear a black coat? I mean, can he just not? 
They haven't been given the choice. Yeah, and they, their outfits are picked by Fenton. This is all... Yeah, they look like they're going to debate each other. Mm-hmm. Going to debate uh, who gets to kick Anchor Pete's ass first. Both of us together. One, two, three, uppercut. Bam! They do their squeeze. It's like two squeezes, and then like mm-hmm. when you interlace your fingers. <laughs> like That's code for uppercut together. Yes. But fortunately, they leave Anchor Pete conscience and in control of his facilities. Right. And they convince him with a bunch of BS that if he tells them where the where Taffy Mar is, mm-hmm. then they'll let him go, like give him a lesser yeah. sentence. To which he does. Yeah, but that's which is actual happen. again police work. You mm-hmm. know, cut the deal, rat out your boss. And they sneak up on, and the FBI agents sneak up on the bad guys on Taffy Mar, and then they're whispering really loud, "That's Chris, and that's Mar. Let's rush them." And they are having a full conversation that you know somebody would have overheard. Yeah, and then they catch him. They catch him. They and give. That's, yeah, they give. So much explanation of every little thing that they did. Oh, here's a moment at the end. Just a little wrap-up for the story that I think was a great sign of things to come. Presently, the police arrived and the two men were taken away. Keith and Mallet went with them. As the launch departed, Frank and Jill realized that another mystery had also departed. Hmm? They were to experience a lost feeling. Until their next case, while the clock ticked came along yeah they're junkies they're adrenaline junkies they're so hooked on the mystery Mm -hmm. like the moment it's over they feel empty inside and lost we gotta we get we gotta we gotta hide in more tiny spaces that's the kind of go to new york again i want to get tied up again i was drugged for three whole days like they're addicted to the train yeah they jumped out of an airplane they ran from a, a speeding train yeah, they were I Batman. Mean, getting the news that a dangerous gang is out to kill them doesn't even spike the adrenaline a no, little bit. The bar is so high now. Yeah, there's it's a, like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, where he's so awesome, he goes on vacation, like free hand climbs. Mountain. Right, they're gonna be that. Yeah, they are that be, now. By thirty, they're gonna be playing like Russian yeah. roulette in a really sad like hotel oh, room. You know, how do you go to school after? Oh this? my they god, just sit there now. How you gotta, the hell do you sit right. through high school? Well, last on Saturday, you jumped out of a plane with absolutely no. Prior training or knowledge, or even the thought that you were going to jump out of a plane an hour before you did it. And you know that, like... Here's fractions. If Joe dozes off in the middle of, yeah, in the middle of Trig, and wakes up, he's going to wake up screaming bloody murder. Some kid's going to be like, Joe, Joe, and he's going to break that kid's hand when he wakes up. And be like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Because that's his life now. Yeah, Uh, yeah, all right. So that's what happened at midnight. And those Mm -hmm. are lots of different things that happened at midnight. Because I think the plane bail was midnight-ish. Rescuing Joe was also probably around midnight. Around midnight. They got attacked by Anchor Pete at midnight. Mm -hmm. The original break into the house was at midnight. Uh, Joe got kidnapped at midnight. Yeah, at midnight at the party. They were partying pretty late. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah, wow, what an adventure. And then, um, then the thing is, yeah, at the end, it's, and you save the transistor radio. And then I'm sure we never hear about it again. No. You think that, like, in it, they would give us updates. It would be, like, revolutionizing the way people, stopping wars and, you yeah. know. But no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, any final thoughts? Um, just that, yeah, I was, I was a lot more enthused about this. I, it kept me moving along a lot more because at yes. least there was stuff happening with the exception of the New York travel log. How is it that the, the period of the book where they go to New York is the boring part of the book? Yeah, that was, yeah. that's just the, the mid, the second act kind of break. I like the motif of yeah. Midnight. Midnight. Know? I do feel thing. like I know what happened at midnight now. I have a good mm-hmm. grasp of the I don't know what this is events. referring to, though. So I don't feel cheated by no. your title. Um, great. Well, thank you, Mike Marlowe. Well, it was always a pleasure. Do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you're doing right now? Hey, support George Washington High School football. All right, cool. Yeah, these boys got offered to be on a college football team. Yeah. Actually, no, they got invited. If to you join can a- knock a man into unconscious, into brain damage with a punch, you can be on my team. Any, I. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. They got in a they got in a fist fight with a bunch of kids from a fraternity, and then the kids showed up later and were like, "Hey, uh, would you want to join our fraternity and also our football team?" Yeah. Uh-huh. I would take the Hardies in a heartbeat. Oh yeah. On my squad. Each episode, we have one of our favorite bartenders mix up a custom cocktail to go along with the book. Today's drink was created by Anders Leto at Hudson Hill. Pictures of the drink and the recipe are available at thehardyboysdrinkbook.com. Enjoy! 
everybody, and welcome to the bar segment of the Hardy Boys Drinkbook Podcast. I am Hardy Boys Drinkbook producer and your guest host for this segment, Jack Wefso, your regular host brother. And uh, I am here at our very first stop on the bar circuit, Hudson Hill on 13th. And joining me to talk about our cocktail today is Anders Leto. Anders, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank We're you. so happy to be back here. We love this bar, and we love that you've been so hospitable to us. Of course. I mean, it's what we do here. You know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Sure. I guess a bar is all about hospitality. Definitely. Uh, people who listen to our first episode will remember that Hudson Hill is a sort of uh, coffee shop and snacks by day, mm-hmm. cocktails and delicious appetizers by night. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the history of Hudson Hill. Um, how long has it been here? Has it always been here? How did it get started? So it'll actually be two years in May. And uh, at first we just sort of started out as a cocktail lounge. And then about... Um, I would say September of our first year being open, we decided to add the coffee aspect to the bar. Um, and just overall, I feel like it's just adding like a nice spin to the neighborhood and like really providing like a different sort of idea of like what a coffee shop could also be in terms of like a full circle sort of hospitality where it's not really like you come in and you leave right away. You come in, sit down and enjoy what you have purchased. And I mean, I've always like really liked that idea from like more like European cafes. And that's sort of like where I really see like Hudson Hill sort of like really stepping into that ball field in terms of uh, the coffee program here. It feels that European cafe thing that you mm-hmm. talked about, it definitely has that vibe. It feels like a place that you could walk into at 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. and be comfortable in until 11 p.m. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, we have, like, a little bit of everything. We have coffee to sort of start your day out. If you can come in, we have a little bit of food to kind of keep your day rolling. And then at the very end of your day, when you want just a nice little nightcap, we're here for, you know, delicious cocktails as well. Uh, we are, uh, speaking of nightcap, uh, our uh, our book for this week is What Happened at Midnight. And a couple of surprises here. Uh, first of all, uh, you actually read this book in yeah. preparation for this for this interview. Oh, definitely. I take my podcast very seriously. So it's like <laughs> it's, I want to be... It's 2017 and everybody gets <laughs> oh, a definitely, podcast. For sure. So it's important yeah. to do your homework. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did you think of the book? I actually really enjoyed it. So this was actually my first um, like Hardy Boys book. You never ever. read any as a kid? Or oh, anything never like that? really. Like I was uh, never really that big of a reader when I was younger. I was more into like comic books. I, I should sure. say. Uh, never really a big mystery mystery guy, but it was very interesting. Like I love just the idea of like these like teenage boys that are getting these instructor like instru- instructions from their uh, detective father, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who right? could easily do the job themselves. But the, you know, yeah, you he's know, got he's... bigger fish to fry. Oh, definitely, for sure. Is, or you know, there is also a fan theory going on that he might be the the in charge of the organized crime ring that they keep going up against because he's got all of this information that oh, he really man. shouldn't have. You know, how does he know to tell? Them. Very true. Maybe Very check true. on this guy. Yeah. Maybe maybe he's got the he's got the inside scoop there. Yeah, I mean if that's the case, I might want to start picking up these books a little bit more often. Well, you know? you know, I, I would advise <laughs> against it because uh, you know we we get drunk and read them, so you don't have to. Um, <laughs> but, but but thank you for, uh, very much for for doing your homework. They're tremendously fun books. Uh, would you would you read another one? Do you? Think? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I was like yeah. actually like wanting to download the next one on my oh, audio. Uh, there yeah, you go. There you go. So, you can, you yeah. can get them as audio books, and you can also subscribe to this podcast. Mm-hmm. A little shameless plug right there. Um, tell us a little bit about the drink that you've made for us today. It looks gorgeous and it has a great name. Alright, so the drink I created for this podcast is called Beyond Midnight. Beyond um, Midnight. Yeah, just from like uh, listening to the book, I was like, you know, discovering that a lot of the plot points in the book would happen almost either exactly at midnight or just after midnight. Um, there's, and, mu- there's multiple midnights Yeah, it's multiple one. midnights. So it's it's like, always a, it should be like what happened at yeah. midnight's exactly. plural. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, and like being the hardy boys, not hardy men, um, you know, they, I don't know, I just want to really take a spin on this cocktail and kind of have fun with it. And, you know, they definitely need to be up past midnight in order to complete their mysteries. So this is a coffee-based cocktail using cold brew concentrate as well as, like, cinnamon uh, simple syrup, cranberry bitters, uh, sweet condensed milk, and equal parts Campari and scotch. There's a lot going on yes. uh, right there. Uh, it it sounds uh, pretty boozy, but it looks like a dessert. Yes, definitely. It, it, uh, I think you mentioned that you kind of wanted the, the taste of strawberry quick, and uh, it I don't know about taste, but look, it's yeah. definitely got that. I'm going to take a taste of it now. I'm yes. going to pretend I haven't tasted it. Wow. That is... Um, 
it's it tastes like a dessert drink. Yeah. It definitely has that um, that sort of milkshakey, yeah, like strawberry quick. Yeah. It's not exactly that yeah. that fake strawberry. It's a little bit flavor. more adult, for sure. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, because you can uh, you can also taste that coffee in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels like I could drink these and, and stay up all night. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, uh, it's not very boozy. I don't yeah. taste a lot of booze in it, yeah. so I feel like I'd have to watch out. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's very dangerous. You know, you, uh, you put two straws in this. Take a sip of your oh, yeah. creation yourself, and and tell me what having made the drink. What are the flavors that really jump out for you? For me, it's definitely like really fruity. I don't know the Capari like really brings out like a nice bitterness to it. Definitely, like, almost more, like, chocolatey. That's what I'm tasting Mm -hmm. that's the chocolate. Yeah, and I feel like the coffee really complements that. I don't know. The idea behind it is that, you know, the Hardys are teenage boys, and I wanted to have something that a teenage boy detective can enjoy at the end of his evening of hard hard solving mysteries, you know? Scotch and chocolate milk. Perfect for a teenager. Chet Morton's going to be all about that. Yeah, he's going to absolutely love that. Chet could get real fat on these. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up here, and how did you get into bartending? So, I guess um, I've always worked in coffee. Um, I moved here from Michigan about three years ago, and started out as like more smaller, like family-owned shops. Moved to the you know the big old city, you know, and uh, started out working at more of like busier, like more you know, corporate side of shops and stuff like that. And it was like a lot of fun. Um, but then after being here, I really wanted to work at a place where I felt more integrated to my city that I was living in, because I was spending a lot of time just in the same building that I worked in pretty much since I moved here. Yeah. And Hudson Hill, like, actually, like, kind of brought me back to more of a feel of, like, the shops that I worked in back in Michigan. Very almost, like, family-oriented, where you actually get to know your customers very much so, instead of just it being more transactional. And, and Denver has such a unique and vibrant community and feel, you know what yeah, I mean? Like you, know, you know when you're in Denver, you know when yeah. you're talking to Denver people, as opposed to walking into a corporate place. Exactly. You, you feel that corporate, yeah. as opposed to... And definitely being in Cap Hill of Denver, you know, you definitely... Even though Denver is a big city, it has very small town aspects to it, and I feel like Cap Hill really embodies that sort of feel. Where it's like I, I'm still walking down the street and saying hi to people that I recognize. You know, it's it's very much so. It's not like in New York City where it's like you know you're very like, yeah. Track. You got to do your lazy tunnel. You put yeah, your horse exactly. On. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And so actually, like bartending is actually something that's very new to me. I haven't really, really I've never really done it as like a serious profession um, until I started working here. So I've always just been in coffee, just being a barista, managing coffee shops, and then. This is my first like actual time bartending. Like, yeah. and and would you say that that is your favorite part about bartending? Is is the community aspect? Oh, same definitely. Kind of the same yeah, I would say like it goes the same way for coffee. As I love being like that guy for someone. Like this is the guy I go to get my coffee in the morning. You know, it's like having the same barber. You know that you've had for like you know years. And you know? I have. Yeah, I see? Have. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's just that just relationship that you can have with people, and then being a bartender is just like another aspect where it's like I can also catch those people at night if I want to. You know, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for for somebody who ad- admits to being new uh, with cocktails, you have created a real masterpiece here. Well, I appreciate and that. I am excited to uh, sit here and drink the rest of it uh, and and read another another Hardy Boys book. Uh, Anders, thank you so much oh, of for course. coming on the Anytime, show. Sir. We yeah. really appreciate it. And uh, and I just want to say uh, at the end of it, uh, this here that uh, we don't just come to Hudson Hill to interview you guys for the <laughs> podcast. We're here on our downtime. Get in and stop by. Uh, this bar it's a re- during the day for coffee at night for drinks it's a really great spot and you won't regret coming in so uh, again Anders thank you so much for joining yeah, of course us. anytime appreciate you having Pleasure meeting coming you. on thank you so much the Hardy Boys Drink Book is a part of their network it is produced by Jack and Charles Wefso music is provided by Danny Overby at Round 2 Productions photography and graphic design are by Kristen Hallstrom special thanks to Mike Marlowe and to Anders Leto at Hudson Hill If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And remember to tune in next time for The Nancy Drew Drink Book Number 2, The Hidden Staircase, featuring Kristen Hallstrom.